As a priest, whenever I am meeting people at some sort of social function or event who aren't Catholic, or at least aren't practicing Catholics, it can sometimes be a little awkward, because most people have imbibed the maxim, don't talk religion or politics. So what do you do when you meet a priest whose life and work is obviously religion? I know what they're thinking. Is he going to try to convert me? Or is he going to tell me that I'm a sinner? But on occasion, you do meet a more intrepid soul who ventures into asking questions about the church or about the priesthood. Not because they are necessarily seeking after the faith, although of course some are. Often they're just people who have a natural curiosity about the world or about other people, which makes them good conversationalists. Now, once we get talking and the other person starts feeling comfortable, they will eventually ask the question, which is some variation on, so what's with this celibacy thing anyway? So I explain to them that why the church thinks that Christ intended celibacy to be the normative state for her sacred ministers, and why it is that the church understands celibacy as a great aid to pastoral charity, and as a spur to self-giving that is more or less necessitated by the nature of priestly ministry. Now, in most cases, the person or persons that I'm talking to in these situations are themselves married. One of the interesting things is that I find is that almost invariably, the person who is able to understand and accept the rationale behind the church's embrace of celibacy for priests and religious are, insofar as I am able to discern, living in happy marriages and families. These people may not be Christians. Their marriages might not be sacramental. They might not be practicing any faith at all or even believe in God. But they are living marriage, at least on a natural level, on a natural level, in a good and, dare I say, even holy kind of way. They are living their marriage in a self-giving manner. And thus, when you explain to them priestly celibacy in that way, even if they've never really given it any thought before, they get it. They intuitively grasp the logic of ministry as self-giving, which is made more fruitful by celibacy. Leo, Leo Tolstoy began his famous novel, Anna Koronina, with this line, all happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. This line has been interpreted in many different ways, but I think it comes down to the fact that the, at the heart of any happy family is a kind of mystery. There's a mysterious way in which a family is sustained in happiness by a kind of mutual self-giving by each of its members, beginning with the husband and wife inter se and radiating outwards to and from their children, ideally extending even to the, the outer family, the relatives, the grandparents, the aunts and uncles, the cousins. It's the mystery of how so many disparate individuals can be united in love, as though one flesh. It's a wonder to behold, but ultimately it's opaque to our ability to understand and explain. Now as priests, we also see marriages and families that are not so happy. Some are downright miserable. 
and the problems and situations can be complex. But ultimately, unhappy families are not mysteries. Their problems can almost always logically be explained by personality and circumstance, if you have the patience to dig far enough. There's none of that delightful opacity, because disorder is not a mystery. Things are usually painfully transparent when you get to the bottom of it. As Christians, the foundation for all things is, for us, the Most Holy Trinity, the mysterious interrelationship of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are, in undivided substance, the one indivisible and all-powerful God. Each of the persons of the Trinity exists in an unbreakable, unending, and complete chain of love, complete self-giving of each one to the other. Like the inner workings of a beautiful, happy family, it's not something that we can ever fully comprehend. It's a mystery that we simply embrace, and that embraces us. We uphold the mystery of the Trinity not merely as an exercise in theological precision, nor merely even because it is a revealed truth of the Christian faith. Rather, as Christians, we uphold the mystery of the Trinity because it speaks to our hearts and to our desires. The Trinity shows us the correlation between the divine reality of the inner life of God and the highest goods in this world that he has created. The love that we can experience in this life, in this world, the sacraments, the church, friendship, and family. All of these things are foretastes of the heavenly kingdom. Despite the persistence of sin in this world, we see the Trinitarian action of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work whenever we experience the mysteries of self-giving love and self-sacrifice for the sake of truth, goodness, and beauty. The experience of these mysteries declares to us the things that are coming. Because of our Trinitarian faith, we know that self-giving love is not slavery or suicide or unfair submission. Rather, it reflects the very inner life of the all-powerful God who creates and sustains all things. When we genuinely understand and embrace that, loving to the point of sacrifice and living our lives as a gift to others becomes possible, even probable. For as St. Paul says, when we become icons of the Most Holy Trinity in baptism, then we will boast even of our afflictions, knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. All of this is the basis of our Christian faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.